Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Welcome to Infinity. This is a role-playing podcast in which the players enter a world of endless imagination and infinite possibilities. So what's the objective of this podcast? Well, I love video games and podcasts. So I thought, why not blend the two? Join in on the journey and enjoy the ride. Press start to begin. Hello, hello. Welcome players, one and all. My name is Joy Infinity. My pronouns are she, her, and my virtual age is 25 years old. And today we're going to talk about my HP stats. For those of you out there that do not know video game terminology, I'm going to explain what HP means. What is HP? HP in video game terms are your health points or your hit points. I'm literally talking about my physical health, IRL in the real world. That works directly from my mental points from the previous episode. So if you did not hear about my mental points or my MP, I highly suggest you check that out. Now, my digital makeup or my avatar or how you're able to view me on the internet is how I view myself in the real world. So in this world of infinity, I constructed myself as who I look like and how I look like in the real world because I love myself. I love who I am. And I didn't want to change anything. Also, I don't see many black women in video games, so I insert myself when I can because, you know, if not me, who's going to do it? Now, talking about my physical health, that means my physical body, like I mentioned before. So I wanted to discuss briefly how I was growing up. I was a tomboy, so I had no problem running around outside, playing with all the neighborhood kids, playing football, playing soccer, dodgeball, kickball, you name it, I most likely played it. I had no problem running around. I probably did smell like outside, like how your parents tell you, don't come in this house or, you know, because you smell like outside. That was probably me. But I felt like I had a good balance of outside activity and inside activity, aka video games. So I really didn't have any issue in terms of physical obstacles stopping me from running around. I didn't have any physical disabilities. I didn't have any obstacles that would slow me down. I felt like my grandfather was a very good advocate in terms of going outside, riding bikes. He created bikes. He would weld bikes from parts that he got from the junkyard and he would always be making something and he would always take my brother and I out to different activities, aka Collingswood Flea Market, the auction. If anybody in New Jersey knows what I'm talking about, you know exactly what I'm talking about with the stock car racing. My childhood was basically fine. Like I didn't have any issues growing up, but eternally, the main issue that I know I had and that my family didn't know I had was the childhood asthma. And I did use an inhaler growing up and I only had one asthma attack, thank God. Now, the childhood asthma thing, I'm not really sure when it started or how it started. For the most part, I do remember that if I would run around a lot, then I would wheeze. My lungs would be like, like it would be wheezy in a way. Other than that, 
my grandmother made me take Scott's emulsion. I'm saying it out loud because, again, I know I'm not going to get paid by these people, but that cod liver oil, so shout out to my grandmother, love her dearly. She had me take spoonfuls of this cod liver oil, which was horrible, but I thank God for her and I thank God for it because after that, I never had an inhaler again. So those were my only issues in terms of physical health growing up. And for the most part, I was overall fine. I definitely participated in sports later on. I participated in track. I participated in basketball. I tried soccer, but whoo, soccer was exhausting. I definitely did hockey in my middle school. I did pretty much any sports that they wanted us to, lacrosse, field hockey, all those things. So it's not that I was never an active kid. I felt like overall my health was pretty good. The only physical attribute, you know, that could have been something that was against me, but it really wasn't, was that I was shorter than a lot of other people. I'm not that short, guys, but if you saw me, you're like, oh, you're kind of short, but not really. I'm not. <laughs> I'm <laughs> I'm laughing about it now, but I'm proud of my height, and I'm not going to say it here physically because, you know, you can find out how tall I am if you see me in real life. However, it's just funny because I was described as like a shorter kid growing up, but I'm like, not that bad. So all of this to say that physically I was overall fine. And then, and then in the year 2010, something changed my life. I'm rewinding us back to 2010 because this is where things take a turn. And this story that I'm about to say is something that I've been wanting to always talk about on this podcast. And I've been more open about it on my social media channels. And if you've seen anything in the last couple of years from me, I am definitely more open about this topic. So bear with me. When I was turning 20, so I was about to be 20 years old. So I was really 19 when all this stuff started happening to me in 2010. In the months before turning 20, I experienced a series of symptoms that I could not explain. And at that time, I was working a retail job, which, you know, you know how that goes. And I was already stressed. It was really a part-time job, so it wasn't like I was, you know, over-overworking, but... I was having the part-time job in retail. I was having a full set of classes for college. I was dealing with family drama back in my own home and trying to figure out how to plan my next moves of escape. So there was a lot going on mentally, emotionally for me, enough as it was. But physically, I do feel like I was running myself ragged. Not to say that the symptoms that I'm going to explain to you in the next couple seconds are because of this, but I just wanted to preface that. So the series of symptoms that I experienced right before I turned 20, the first thing I noticed was that I had an ear infection. Now that was odd because I hadn't been in any water 
I wasn't sure what was going on. But I went to my childhood doctor because, you know, I didn't have a grown-up doctor still at the time. I was still under the age, so I could totally keep going to my childhood doctor and be fine. So I went to him and, you know, was diagnosed having a ear infection, which was random. And I was like, okay, I'll just take care of this ear infection. And then it went away. So I was like, okay, cool. And then I felt like my brain was jumbled up. And when I say jumbled up, I mean that it would be so hard to string sentences together, to string thoughts and sentences together to come out. So when I was working my retail job, you know, retail works pretty fast. And if I was behind the register and I was trying to figure out how to, you know, fold clothes and help customers, I felt like I was tripping all over my words. And I was trying to explain that to my lead, to my managers, to my coworkers. And they're just like, Joy, what's going on? And I was like, look, I, I just, I, I don't know. I'm trying to figure out how to talk. And it's so weird that it's happening to me. And the pushback that I got was work faster, work faster, work faster. And that doesn't help. So after the whole brain jumbling thing came and went, just like the ear infection, then it kicked up a notch. So the month before my birthday, my right side of my mouth, I couldn't taste anything on the right side of my mouth. And I mean, my tongue just split down the middle. I couldn't taste anything. If I chew food on the left side of my mouth, I, I could taste everything. But if I swirled it and put it on the right side, I couldn't taste anything. And it freaked me out. I reached out to my grandmother because my grandmother is a RN. She's a retired RN. And I was just like, grandma, what should I do? And she's like, well, you should really get that checked out, you know? And my mom, who was also a nurse, was just like, well, you should monitor it, see, you know, what, what that's about. So then that also came and went. And I was like, okay, I don't know what's going on with me, but these are some weird weird symptoms. I don't know why it is. And no one else around me is having these problems. So why am I having these problems? But you know, I had a lot going on. And I really didn't have enough time to sit down and figure it out. But then my body was like, Oh, you're gonna figure this out. So the last symptom I had was that my right arm and my right leg would go limp. And when I mean limp, I mean, I just wouldn't be able to control my arm and leg. Like they would just go dead. And I just didn't understand that at all. And I was trying to explain that to my parents. I was trying to explain that to my friends. And I was just trying to explain it to everybody really but myself. I knew something was wrong to be in my body for... 19 years. I was like, I know my body does not operate this way. What is going on? And when my parents told me, you should pray on it, I was like, pray? Pray it away? Is that what you're saying? To pray this away? And they were like, yeah, you know, pray it away. And I was like, well, you know, I believe in God, but I don't think that praying this away is going to work. So then I reached out to my grandma and I was like, hey, what should I do? And she's like, you should go see your doctor. So then I drove myself. And I mean, when I say I drove myself, I mean, weeks of this, it kept persisting. So it's not like it went away like the last two. It just kept happening. 
So then I went to my childhood doctor again. I was like, hey, doc, my right arm, my right leg are limp and I don't know what to do about it. And he's like, I can't handle that. I can't help you. You need to go to the hospital. And I was like, oh, okay. So either now this is where it gets a little murky because things happen so fast. I don't know if I drove myself to the hospital, which I feel like I did. And I called my parents and I said, hey, I'm driving myself to the ER. I'll meet you there. And they're like, oh, okay. So (laughs) it was very, very interesting because I want to say just as a recap, I had symptoms. I had my birthday. And then I drove myself to the hospital weeks after that. So me driving myself to the hospital was in the first week of June. My birthday was in May. The symptoms happened in April. And when I got to the hospital, I had to make the symptoms happen, which was hard when you try to activate symptoms on cue. It's not like I was in a play or some type of musical or movie. I had to explain to the hospital, aka the doctors and the nurses, that something was wrong with me, even though I appear completely fine. And that's where my medical journey begins of multiple sclerosis. Now, what is multiple sclerosis? Multiple sclerosis is an unpredictable disease of the central nervous system that disrupts the flow of information within the brain and between the brain and body. Now, that's from the National Multiple Sclerosis Society. The cause of MS is still unknown. Scientists believe that a combination of environmental and genetic factors contribute to the risk and developing and the developing of MS. The progress, severity, and specific symptoms of MS in any one person cannot yet be predicted. Now, this is where it gets more touching to home. Most people with MS are diagnosed between the ages of 20, aka me, and 50, with at least two to three times more women, (coughs) black women, than men being diagnosed with the disease. So when I was in the hospital, I had to make the symptoms go. And eventually I did. I had to walk up and down the hallway and activate my arm and leg going limp. Now, the doctors and nurses in this hospital, I'm not going to shout out this hospital because they do not deserve this credit. They thought I was having a stroke. They put me in the stroke ward. I was 20 years old, a black woman on the stroke floor, surrounded by other 70 year olds. And no one understood why I was there. Heck, I didn't even know why I was there. And I stayed in that hospital from Wednesday to Saturday. Now, I'm going into detail about this particular part because I want to let this be known about healthcare more than a decade ago and how it probably has not changed. But you know what? I'm going to try to be optimistic about things. So when I was in the hospital, when I was admitted into the hospital, they tested me for everything and they asked me a bunch of questions in front of my parents. They asked me, if I was sexually active, they asked me if I had AIDS, if I had HIV, if I had lupus, if I had all sorts of autoimmune diseases that I never even heard of before. And on top of that, I was on my period. So one of the tests that they had 
they were like, oh, hey, we need a urine sample from you to test your urine and we're going to take a bunch of blood from you. And I was like, cool, that's fine. They came back to me maybe an hour later and they were like, hey, so um, we found blood in your urine. I was like, obviously, I'm on my period. I'm bleeding. You know, remember I said that an hour ago when I made a joke about, hey, there might be blood in my urine because I'm bleeding, you know? So literally. Now at that time, I felt like I was a patient on the TV series House. Now, if no one has ever heard of House, please Google it real quick. House was one of my favorite shows growing up because I was like, they're always going to figure out what's going on with someone, right? And I figured if I was ever in the hospital, that it would never be an episode of House because like we have doctors, right? We have nurses, we have people that have gone to school for these things. There's no way they're not going to find out what the heck is wrong with me, right? Wrong. They did not know what was wrong with me. They had tests, they conducted all these things. And for the most part, I had a weird overall confusing time in the hospital and shout out to everyone that did visit me in the hospital for those three days. I had friends come through. It was really, really nice. It was really comforting. I had family come through as well. And it just felt like no one knew why I was there. And to the point where I would be walking around and my heart rate would be going up because I was just entertaining myself trying to figure out what I'm supposed to do in the hospital. I was just like, why am I here? You know? So I wanted to share Facebook posts from that time because I literally want to show you and tell you what I was dealing with back in 2010. June 2nd, 2010. I wrote, can't wait to go to the doctors at 11 because I'm fed up feeling numb on the right side of my body. First, it was my tongue, then the ear infection, and now it's my whole body. Ever since I turned 20, all sorts of things have been out of whack. God, please help me. And I had wonderful people comment and it was really nice. I was really happy and I was really blessed for that. So June 2nd was when I went to the doctor, my childhood doctor. Then I went to the hospital and I wrote again, I have to stay in this hospital overnight and I still don't know what the cause is. The next day, June 3rd, I wrote, just found out that I am on the stroke watch floor and I'm considered a falling patient, quote unquote, falling patient. I'm the youngest person on this floor and I have the criteria of a 60 plus year old woman, which is insane. June 3rd, I wrote, I finally have some pants on, but now I want a shirt. Hospital gowns are terrible pieces of clothing. I would rather just expose my bra because this thing is too big for me to wear. Oops, did I just say that over Facebook? And now I just said it over here. June 3rd, the same day. I am spreading K-pop throughout this hospital. The male nurse was taking my blood pressure and asked about the girl groups I was listening to, and I gave him the names of all the ones I like. He was very happy indeed. I am very happy. I also have clothes on, finally. No more gowns. But I'm still waiting for the MRI. June 4th. I just got back from the MRI scan. It made the funniest noises ever. I wanted to laugh, but I wasn't supposed to move. I will find out the results tomorrow. Pray for me. Same day. 
Has this turned into an episode of House? Man, I just want to go home. Same day. Might get a spinal tap procedure done. Great. And I still don't know if we won the flash mob contest. I'm more anxious for the contest than the procedure. Which kind of gives you a little bit of an indication of what I was going through. I was more worried about a flash mob than a spinal tap procedure. And if you guys don't know what a spinal tap procedure, it's literally where they take this big needle and put it in your back and they extract the spinal fluid from your spine. Oh my God, just talking about it again, just gross. But that's what happened. June 5th is the day. June 5th, I wrote, I'm hopefully going home soon, morning or afternoon. However, I am still getting the spinal tap procedure outside of the hospital, and I will be sedated. Thank you to everyone who visited, called, texted, bought fruit for me today. I truly appreciate all of your love and support. Same day. I wrote that I was going home in 30 minutes or less. Yeah, baby. Wonder Girls New York City concert, here I come. Woo! And then that same day I wrote, I'm now at home relaxing. My right arm and leg are still out of whack, but I'm ignoring it because of the Wonder Girls concert. I can't wait to go. So overall, my experience in the hospital was a bit crazy, but I really, really pressured them to get me out of the hospital because I was not going to miss that Wonder Girls concert. I swore on everything that I was not going to miss that Wonder Girls featuring 2PM concert, and I did go. I did go, and it was wonderful. I did not care whether my arm or leg was going to be out of whack. If anything, I was almost like, hey, if I need to get some assistance here. But I did not. I did not. I, I went in there with, with my friends, and it was a wonderful time at the, at the concert. However, I would not know about my diagnosis until a month later. So like I said, that was in June. I didn't get properly diagnosed until July And that's when multiple sclerosis entered the arena. And down the spiral I went, not understanding what multiple sclerosis was, how did it happen to me, why is it happening to me, couldn't understand. Obviously praying it away wasn't working, so how do we proceed? What should I do? What should my family do? How do we research this? And this was in 2010, and I really didn't have anybody except for one cousin that had it. But their MS journey was very different from mine. So we just tried to figure out, well, who do we go to? And they referred me to a neurologist. Now, neurologists deal with, and I'm I'm not, clearly I'm not a doctor, but neurologists deal with the things going on in your brain and your nervous system and things like that. And I had this particular neurologist for a decade. I've had this one neurologist for as long as I've had this multiple sclerosis. And I highly recommend that you do not do that. Don't do that. I was scared. I dealt with a lot of fear, a lot of doubt, a lot of things that had me not wanting to go anywhere else because that person saw me. That neurologist had saw me from the beginning and I thought that sticking with one neurologist for the whole time would be good. It's not good. Please don't do that. Now, to continue with this multiple sclerosis journey, I'm going to talk about the medications. So being newly diagnosed with multiple sclerosis, 
I didn't know how to proceed. So the neurologist that I had suggested that I go on something called Copaxone. And what is Copaxone? Copaxone is an injection that you have to take in several spots of your body every day. Now, 10 years ago, they weren't really specific on how long you had to take them. They did not want to tell me how long Copaxone was. So all of my information that I'm telling you now is a decade old, but it still hurts nonetheless. So with Copaxone, I was like, well, how long do I have to do this? And they were just like, you know, forever. And I'm like, excuse me, forever, you said. I'm 20 now you mean forever? And he's like, yeah, basically forever. And I'm like, oh, oh, <laughs> how comforting, how comforting, sir. So I did Copaxone for about a year and some change. And I was happy that there was an assistant. There was a tool that you could put the syringe in so that you could, you know, you didn't have to physically inject yourself like some type of creepy drug addict. But it was very uncomfortable to have to make new friends and when they came to my college dorm because eventually I did transfer colleges by then why I had certain things set up the way it was and having to explain my medical situation what multiple sclerosis was and I'm grateful that I had friends that did understand and they didn't treat me differently but I just did not like the way that the injections made me feel overall. Now for me, I feel like I have sensitive skin. So when I would inject the needles, inject the medicine in my body, my skin would puff up and then I would have to ice it down and then it would have all these dark marks on my skin. And I did not like that at all. So I was dealing with that by myself. My parents, again, pray it away. So I was dealing with that by myself until I did bring it up with my neurologist. I was like, hey, I just don't like the way this makes me feel. Like I'm swelling up all over the place on my skin and I'm icing it down. And then it has all these dark marks and I don't like that. So he's like, all right, we'll switch you to something called Jelenia. Now, Jelenia is a pill. It's a small pill. And that I figured, okay, that worked a little better for me. And what I did was I had my best friend come with me to the clinic and I was on observation for about six hours after I took the one pill, Jelenia pill. Now, switching from an injectable medicine to a oral pill felt good. I definitely was like, oh my God, okay, this seems a little better. I just know that this pill is something that I'm going to have to take for the rest of my life, which I really do feel like doctors, especially in the neurology field, should have training on how to tell people, you know, regular schmegula people like me that, hey, this pill may be forever, but it may not. Like, can you just give us a little bit of hope? So anyway, I did the Jelenia pill for seven years, seven years. And for the most part, it was fine. You just had to take it every day. And it, honestly, it wasn't like birth control where you had to take it on the same day, at the same hour, at the same time, all the time. It wasn't like that at all. Now, the things about these medications that I did not tell you, but I'm going to tell you right now. 
These medications are expensive, expensive. And if you do not have a copay plan, and I mean that in terms of you, your insurance, being able to actively participate in the copay assistance program that each medicine provides, these things are thousands of dollars. And when I say thousands, I mean, they were warning me that I may have to make sure that when the medicines do get shipped to my house, that they're signed for because if I lost these things that I could be sued for the missing medicine that I may or may not have received. And I'm just like, that's insane. But yeah, these medicines are expensive. So Copaxone was really expensive. I'm not going to say the money amount because things change over time, but Copaxone was expensive. Jelenia was expensive. And the things with those medicines is that I had to keep ordering them within a 30-day, 90-day grace period. So you would only have it for a certain amount of days, 30, 60, 90, and then you'd have to order it again. And then you'd have to order it in advance so that by the time that your supply ran out, you would still have some because God help you if you didn't have your medicine you know, before or after, that's even more anxiety. It already is terrible. You're having to take this medicine. But then if you're late a day or two, that's a whole type of fear that you don't want to experience. So being, I guess, a pro at this point of ordering medicine and making sure that I knew that my pharmacy got my order in advance and that I was able to pay for those things because of the co-pay options, I did Jelenia for seven years. After that, though, is when I had some other interesting symptoms that popped up. Now, those symptoms, going back into my memories, was not good. So my first set of symptoms that I do remember after taking Jelenia, now this is going into 2018, I remember that my skin, especially with my legs, was so itchy. And I didn't understand why. I would put lotion on. I would moisturize my skin. I have a whole routine. If you guys didn't hear my uh, previous episodes, definitely check those out about self-care, self-love. I know how to moisturize my body. So I just felt like my skin, especially my legs, my lower legs, they were so uncontrollably itchy that I would bleed from scratching them so much. I knew that was an issue. But I didn't understand why it was happening. And then I felt tingling. And the tingling, again, right side of my body. I'm like, what is always going on with the right side of my body? So, you know, right side of my body, left side of my brain, not sure what's going on there. So I felt tingling. And then I felt numbness. And I was like, why? What's going on? I'm still taking this pill. I'm taking the Jelenia, right? What's, why is this happening? What is persisting that is not allowing me to be great? So the numbing was slowly crawling up my leg. And I'm saying this not to be descriptive and not to be like, this might happen to you. Because again, like I mentioned, MS is definitely completely different for each person. So not two, one, two symptoms are the same. But numbness started crawling up my right leg past my knee past my thigh past my lower region my wumpa if you have followed me on twitch then you know my wumpa 
past my wampa, went up my abdominal area and reached to my chest area and it stopped below my neck. And I was going to my neurologist like, hey man, stuff is happening to my body and I'm on this pill and I don't know what to do. And this is where not having the same neurologist for 10 years comes into play. He was very much like, I don't know what to tell you. And I'm like, what do you mean you don't know what to tell me? We should be doing some scans, right? Shouldn't we be doing the? I've been taking MRI scans for a decade, basically almost a decade. I know how to do this. I know how to be scanned. I know the whole MRI with the brain contrast and your spinal contrast and all those things. Why aren't you calling for these things? Isn't there anything else you can subscribe to me? Just figure out where I can go. Not a nothing. Not a nothing. So by that time, I was like, I had it. I had it. I don't understand. You're not helping me. You're not having a shred. And it wasn't even just the neurologist. It was literally the nurses in there as well. And when I say the nurses, it was like, not even the nurses. It was really like the receptionists in this place as well. So the neurologist, the head nurse and the receptionists were not good at all. And I was like, okay, so what's the next best thing? Which ladies and gentlemen, these and thems, this is not what you should do. But like, I did this. So I just stopped taking the Jelenia. I was like, forget this. I'm not dealing with this because if literally taking the pill is not helping me, then what? Not taking the pill would help me? <laughs> so I did not take the pill for six months. And for six months, I was like, you know what? You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to do a 30-day raw diet because I've been taking medicine, medicine, medicine forever. And I want to start a paleo diet. So I was like, all right, let me do a raw, a 30-day raw diet. And then I will jump on the paleo lifestyle train. So I did the raw diet for 30 days. I actually did it. And that was only because of my baby. So shout out to my baby because my baby prepped so many wonderful foods for me to eat during this 30-day raw diet. And I will mention how important it is to have supportive people in your life. I will mention that. So I did the 30-day raw diet. Unfortunately, that 30-day raw diet happened right as Thanksgiving started. So I was starving for food. And I was like, okay, we're going to have a Friendsgiving. It's going to be great. Never jumped on that paleo. But I was not taking a pill for six months. And it was wonderful to not have to do something every day for so long. It felt freeing. It felt so great. And then I felt some immediate tingling and numbness that shot up throughout my body. And I called my neurologist and I was like, hey, what's going on? I called him at like four in the morning and he was like, well, you should go to the hospital. You should go to the ER. Then I went to the ER. They shot me up with a bunch of steroids and some other stuff, some saline stuff. And that was what? Easter Sunday that happened to me. And then finally having a fit, being like, well, what should I do? What should I do? Then my neurologist was like, okay, we're going to move you on to this next medication. You don't like the injection. You don't like the pill. Let's try this. And the way that he said it to me, I was just like, you act like I'm doing this because I want to rebel. If anything, I don't want this. I do not want this autoimmune disease. I wish it never happened to me. However, you're not listening to me. I'm screaming for help. And you're just like, Meh, I don't know what to do. So 
Ocrevus is what I was assigned to take. And Ocrevus is an infusion. And that's what I'm currently on right now in the year 2021. I'm doing Ocrevus. And it was scary to me only because my neurologist was like, oh, if you do this, you're going to do this twice a year. However, there's a 0.0000.2% chance that you might get cancer. And I was like, oh, that sucks. But what are my options, bro? Like, I guess I'm going to do it. And then I did. It was a whole thing. It was testing and making sure that your blood levels were good and that you had to have all of this stuff before you can even do the infusion. So that's what I'm currently on. And I just wanted people to know that it took me 10 years to not cry. To even say this story right now, this might be the first time I've ever said this in detail and have not shed a tear about it. Not because it doesn't hurt me to this day, it does. But it's just that I felt so much denial, shame, confusion, misunderstanding, all of these feelings that I was like, I'm going through this. And I knew I wasn't going through it alone, but I didn't want to reach out to people because I was just like, the way that I'm dealing with multiple sclerosis is amazing compared to what other people are going through. There are people that use wheelchairs. There are people that have to have assistance to function. And look at me being a fully functioned adult human being running around here complaining and crying about multiple sclerosis. Oh, woe was me. But there's tons of people that deal with it on a level that's far more advanced than me. So why should I complain? And shout out to my friends, shout out to, you know, people that actually cared about me, my chosen family, shout out to now people that I did date who did not treat me any differently. And of course, shout out to my baby who has been very supportive of me since we've met and dated and still dating to this day. So I just felt like having an autoimmune disease was something that I would have never predicted that I would have had in my entire life, but it was so hard to even share this story that I really did want to have an episode about it. And of course, I blended them together with my HP because this MS, multiple sclerosis, is a part of my HP now. It wasn't growing up, but now it is. Now that I'm an adult, I have to not only worry about my physical health, on a more acute level, but literally being like, okay, I have to work harder so that I can live longer, not just because of regular human stuff, but because I have a whole autoimmune disease that could stand in the way of me living longer. And having multiple sclerosis isn't a death sentence. It isn't something that you need to be like, oh my God, because thank goodness for modern medicine, Things are progressing in a way that, hey, you don't have to be disabled and you don't have to be crying by yourself. There are focus groups, there are therapy groups, there are groups out there, internet groups that can help everybody and you don't have to deal with this alone. And the fact that you can have multiple sclerosis and it's not something that makes you 
different from everybody else is what's truly important. And I appreciated that people did wait for me because I never wanted to speak about it. I wanted to ignore multiple sclerosis. I wanted to be like, this is something that's not happening to me. I don't understand why people want to talk about it. I never wanted to talk about it. And now that I'm finally coming out of my shell, I had to go do that. I had to go do the research. I had to go figure out what's going on. I had to do those backtracks of like, all right, well, this is what happened to me. And this is why it happened to me. And what should I do? And now being 10 years in, I wanted to reflect and have an episode where I could talk about it openly and not feel sad. But to know that I've come from a place where I am learning and I'm growing and that multiple sclerosis does not define me. It does not define who I am, but it is a part of my HP. It is a part of me as a person and it won't go away at the moment, but it's not going to stop me from who I am. And I just wanted to reflect on that. So now that I have had multiple sclerosis for 10 years what did I learn? I learned that fear is something that we have as human beings, but we should not be isolated or stagnant in our fears. The fear is because I didn't know the fear of the unknown. I was so scared of all the things that could happen to me or maybe happen to me and all the things that have happened to other people. Maybe that could happen to me. But the best thing about fear is that it could be quickly trampled with knowledge. I learned that surrounding yourself with people that care about you is so, so important. And that having that chosen family and people that support you, and it doesn't have to be people that have the same affliction as you. I spoke to my friends for years about my multiple sclerosis, and they empathize with me and they sympathize with me in ways that my own family didn't even do. So I learned that, hey, if you have the right amount of people around you, it could really improve your mental, your physical, your emotional health. And I really do thank God for those people because I know that I probably would not have made it out okay by myself dealing with this multiple sclerosis journey. So definitely look out for people that are looking out for you. Also, what I learned was that I could have future goals. It's not that multiple sclerosis stops you from doing anything. It doesn't stop you from achieving anything that you want to. It's just something that's attached to you, but it doesn't mean that you have to let those things stop you from doing all the things that you want to achieve. Now, this part, I want to be as open and vulnerable as possible. So this is what I wish I could tell Joy from 2010. What I wish I could tell myself in 2010 is that it's going to be okay. You have to advocate for yourself. No one is going to help you. Your parents are not going to help you with this. Your grandmother is helping the best that she can, but you really do need to do the research and it would be better for you to reach out to people on the internet. You used Facebook. You need to Google multiple sclerosis groups in your area, in your zip code, please join the National Multiple Sclerosis Society. Please join the National Association for, of Multiple Sclerosis. Please join those groups. You love to talk. Join those people. 
have meetups. You don't have to face this alone. And it's not something bad. And you're not going to be disabled, at least for 10 years. I mean, I can't speak for the future, but as of right now, you are fine. As long as you keep up with your nutrition and you keep up with, you know, living and thinking positively and having an optimistic point of view, your 10 years are actually going to be great. And you're going to leave your parents' house, so thank God on that. But the biggest thing I will tell myself from 10 years ago is please, please do not stress. As much as this is a stressful time, that is something that cannot be helped. Stress will put you in the hospital faster than multiple sclerosis. Please try finding all sorts of ways, aka video games, to de-stress. You have to leave your family. You, you can't live in that house. Please go. Please do not stress because I'm telling you, stress will kill you. Not to say that it has because look, we're still here 10 years strong, but stress is a killer. And it's not just because of multiple sclerosis, it, it could affect everything. So please do not stress. And of course, now that we are in a new age, we're still in this pandemic. We're still in this panini, this horrible COVID that's happening. And I wanted to at least give you a brief update of how COVID has affected me with this multiple sclerosis. So in the previous episodes, I did mention that I did have COVID-19. Now, having COVID-19 and having multiple sclerosis, I am a high risk person. And being on Ocrevus, that suppresses my immune system. So I didn't have any antibodies that were there to fight when COVID was happening. But thank God, I haven't had any issues or symptoms since. So as this recording, I'm actually going to get my first vaccine dose pretty soon. So it's just like, hey, I'm still okay. And I was eligible to take the COVID-19 vaccine because of my high risk and someone that is on a immunosuppressant drug like Ocrevus, I definitely qualified for having the vaccine. So as of right now, I'm in the midst of having the vaccine doses, and I'll probably have some type of update later on after that. But having multiple sclerosis, having COVID, it was a doozy, and it definitely terrified me. However, luckily, there have been many sources on the internet. There have been wonderful online neurologists that have been giving out so much information about the vaccine and about people like me who are high risk that are susceptible to having viruses like COVID and other things out there. So I wanted to just say that I am fine right now and that I am on my way to having the vaccine doses and I will definitely update you guys all on the interwebs of how I'm doing. So now that you all know who I am, where I stand, and what stands against me in particular about my HP, how do I prevail? In which how do we all prevail? So in my daily life, and what I have been told to do has been to keep myself active. And keeping myself active is not to mean running myself ragged with all sorts of exercise. But it is 
very important that I do keep myself active in terms of doing certain fun exercises and things that make me feel good so that I am able to function normally, you know, climbing stairs and driving and walking and breathing on my own and all those things. So I should be keeping myself active, which I do. I am doing that now. And in my daily life, what has helped me the most is, like I mentioned earlier, I have switched neurologists. And when I say I switched neurologists, this particular person that I have now is a breath of fresh air. This neurologist has recommended so much to me, so much to me, because having multiple sclerosis isn't just about your brain. It is your overall body. And when I say that this particular neurologist has helped me on all sorts of levels, knew that I was deficient in all sorts of things, anemia, vitamin B, vitamin D, my skin was a mess. There was so much going on with me. And of course, being stuck inside with COVID and this pandemic, my neurologist, I'm not going to say their name because I don't want to give it away. They may be on the show, but I was like, wow, thank you for not just focusing on my brain. And, you know, they took my diagnosis and they ramped it up and they're like, hey, we need to make sure that you are good on all accounts. And they had digital scripts for all sorts of stuff. I'm talking about dermatology, (laughs) physical therapy. There was so much that I was like, wow, they really want me to do this. And then I did those things. And then when I went back for my follow-up for my neurologist, the receptionist, the nurses, everybody was like, oh my God, you actually did your due diligence and you went to all of the doctors that we gave you the scripts for. And I was like, yeah, isn't that the whole point of getting the digital scripts? Like we're supposed to go to these things, right? You're supposed to go to the eye doctor. You're supposed to go to the OBGYN. You're supposed to go to all these other doctors, right? And they're like, yeah, but a lot of people don't do that. And I was like, are you serious? And like, yeah, we try to help people the best way we can. This is the MS center. And that's a, that's a really good advice right there. Please find yourself an MS center, by the way, please go somewhere that specifically deals with multiple sclerosis. Like if you can, if it's in your area, please find it somewhere. And if you have to travel for it, it is recommended, please go for it. But yeah, find doctors that actually legitimately care about you, (laughs) please. Because in the beginning, and I'm, I'm going to say this because I did want to give this last neurologist credit. They did care But I felt like as the years progressed that they stopped caring and I should have left years ago, but I was so scared. The fear. Oh my God, I'm not going to find someone like them. I don't know how I'm supposed to continue. How am I going to go on? How am I supposed to be someone that deals with this by myself? My parents don't really, you know, they're not really that supportive. And how am I supposed to deal with this? And no, you can find other people. You can find other doctors, nurses, people that actually care about you, but you do have to do the due diligence like how I was supposed to, but I didn't do it. So please find doctors, nurses, and if they're not working for you, switch them quicker than a pair of draws. Please switch them because literally you do not have the time and the money to be wasted with people that do not care about you. So I'm telling y'all that now in your daily life, please find doctors that care about you. Because literally, you have to care about you first. 
And then those people will be like, okay, well, if you care, then we're going to care. But if not, either you force them to care or you literally just find somebody else that actually wants to help you. Also, in your daily life, listen to your gut and your heart. I'm talking both because gut health is very important. And I don't know if a lot of people are talking about that, but your gut health, your stomach health, all that is very, very important. That controls a lot of stuff going on with your body. There's probiotics, there's all sorts of things, but listening to your heart, knowing in your heart that like something's not right or something is right, listen to yourself, listen to your intuition. It's there for reasons. It's there. I mean, I'm telling you, I can probably say this advice for all sorts of topics because that's how connected it is. Yes, this episode may be about my physical health and multiple sclerosis, but literally listening to my heart, listening to my gut got me to where I am now because I was like, you know what? He doesn't care. Let me find someone that does. You know what I did? I reached out to a friend and they directed me, shout out to them. They directed me to the neurologist that I have now because they have that neurologist. And I'm like, hey, this guy, he's he's wonderful. He does a wonderful job and I appreciate him and he goes above and beyond. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to find a guy like that. And then they literally find that guy. And that's how I am changing my health because to be in the same arena as people that actually care for other people is what transformed my health from being you know where it necessarily did not need to be to where I am now where I am on the up and up I'm getting better I'm getting the nutrition that I need and like I said having someone specifically a partner that actually cares about you is one of the most important things that's ever happened to me in my life. Having a baby that actually wants to help me stay alive. And what I mean is like, baby will literally cook things that I need to have for my diet. Baby will literally do stuff, will do research like me to be like, all right, well, what should we do? And maybe I can buy this and I can buy this and maybe I can cook with that and maybe we can have this. And baby will eat the things with me. It's not just like, oh, hey, I'm just cooking this for you and I'm going to continue to eat unhealthily. No, they care about my health, that they're going to be doing it along with me. And I'm like, you need to find someone that is going to be like that for you. Find someone that is going to take that journey on with you. That is the most important thing is to find family, friends, people that support you, not just monetarily not just physically not just emotionally not just mentally but all around like it has to be an all-around thing because multiple sclerosis affects all parts of my life whether I want to admit it or not it literally does you have to find people that care about you in your daily life that are going to treat this the same way that you need to be treating it as well also motivation starts with yourself first you can't have someone motivate you to live your life better you have to want to live your life better you can't just be like well I'm just gonna get someone to tell me yeah you can get someone to tell you but that doesn't mean that you're gonna have that energy and you're gonna have that want to do those things the motivation has to start with you and you first you can't have someone tell you those things you have to do it yourself And if it comes from you, then you're going to want yourself to do better. And why wouldn't you want yourself to be better? You know, especially with this autoimmune disease, you need to have everything on the up and up. You need to have everything going towards 
positivity and optimism. So you have to have motivation start with you and your heart and your mind and your brain, everything. You, it has to be you, only you. And that way you can work towards the ultimate goal of living your life to the fullest of your abilities. That's the goal. And it has to start with the motivation and the energy that you want to put towards your life. Who are we protecting? First of all, we're protecting yourself because you need to seek help. To protect yourself from the evils, from the unknowns, from the fears, you have to seek help. And when I mean seek help, I mean literally find people on the internet, find people in real life, find people in media, look for people, look for examples, because as much as I was in the beginning, not wanting to look up anything, I didn't even want to talk about it. Now I really do wish I did because not knowing about multiple sclerosis for three years, four years, five years, like that didn't help me at all. It hurt me because I didn't see any examples. I was trying to look away. I was like, I I don't know. But then I was like, later on, I don't know any black people that have multiple sclerosis. How come? Well, duh, because you didn't do any research because there's plenty of black people. There's tons of black people that have it. There's tons of other ethnicities, Hispanic people, Asian specific island there's so many people that have multiple sclerosis particularly european americans they have it too but it's just a matter of i didn't do that research and it's not something where i can blame it on other people i blame myself so please seek the help please find other people because multiple sclerosis looks different across the board so it's better to find things that work you know not just for other people but work for you I had to specifically find other black people that were like, oh, hmm, oh, they have it too, but they have it differently. And that's okay. Like I mentioned, we're all going to have multiple sclerosis differently, but it's still good to find those examples and to want to work together so that we can come to some other understandings and some similarities and some differences. And that doesn't make us enemies. It just makes us wanting to know more about multiple sclerosis together so that we can be better knowledgeable about it and not just alone in the dark scrambling around trying to be like well how come I don't know anything no we're together you have a tribe you have people that want what's best for you in your corner and you need to have those people in your life whether they're physically there with you or they're on the computer or they're in a video game session with you like definitely get the help that you need especially they have so many options now you go to the neurologist you can have them reach out to the MS Society or the National Association of Multiple Sclerosis and they do have therapy groups they have therapists that could reach out to you like care sessions I'm not really sure because I'm not that involved with it but definitely look up those options definitely google use your googles y'all definitely do that because it's supposed to be helping us and not hurting us and lastly how do we recharge I say this because this is what's helped me recharge. Family and friends in real life and the internet. So when I say family, I mean my chosen family. Later on, my parents have been more open and more willing to talk about multiple sclerosis, ask me how I've been doing and those things. So it's not to say that I'm not talking to my parents about it, but I wasn't really giving them so many details because they weren't really helpful in the beginning. And I do want to say that if there are, just because you are blood related doesn't mean that your blood related siblings or blood related 
family members are going to be the most helpful. And that's okay. You have to find people that are helpful. So don't think that just because that your blood relatives aren't helpful that you have no one else left in this world. No, there are plenty of people that will care about you, but you know, you have to find them. So I recharge by speaking about things that are happening with me with my chosen family or finding groups like I found on Facebook and Instagram and you know, all the other social media platforms sharing my experience. Oh, and, and discord. <laughs> There's so many channels where you could find people that are in the same boat as you and want to help you want to grow, want the best for you. And to recharge, it just helps to have people that are on the same plane as you, the same platform that are trying to find ways to connect because multiple sclerosis doesn't have to be a journey that you take alone. It can be something that you could find common ground with others all over the world. And if you can find that, then you are in a way better place than people were decades before us. And that's what we have on our side. We have technology. We have all these advancements in modern medicine. We can do so much more. And I just have that optimistic point of view that things are going to get better whether that there's going to be a cure for this in the next 10 years 20 years I pray that there is one if not it's okay because I'm still living life the way I want to live I'm not bound to anything thank god for me I'm not bound to any wheelchairs I don't have to use any assistance with walking and this is not to shame anyone that does but the biggest thing I will say is that when things are happening to you jump on them immediately. I'm talking about symptoms. That's what I really wanted to share. Do not sit on your symptoms. Do not sit on things that are happening to you because it'll progress worse. You have to be your own advocate and that's something that you need to work on. Whether or not people believe you or not, don't sit by idly and let your body just deteriorate. You have to, you have to take charge and literally advocate for yourself. And definitely jump on those symptoms early. That's what saved me. And I know I, I wanted to say that when I was talking about my hospital experience. The fact that I was able to do it early on was way better than if I sat on it for months and months at a time. So please, if you have something that's happening to your body, whether it's multiple sclerosis or not, please go to the hospital, go to a doctor, go to the ER. Definitely get that settled and be your own advocate and fight for your body fight for yourself because literally no one's gonna do it for you and the way that you can do that too is having encouragement by your chosen family or your friends and that's why I thank God for everybody that is in my life because literally they helped me not be in a worse state than what I could have been so thank you thank you thank you and now we've reached the safe point oh my gosh this HPMS episode was a doozy. I say a doozy, but it took a lot of energy for me to even record this because I was just like, I don't know how this episode is going to turn out, but you know what? I have to record it. It's in my body. It's in my system. It's in my spirit to record this. And I really do hope that it helps anybody out there, not just going through multiple sclerosis, but is going through physical changes or emotional mental, anything like that. 
I really do hope that my story helps anybody out there. I'm hoping. If not, you know what? It's fine because I did this episode for me because it was important for me to hear it. But I really do hope it helps you because I've been wanting to always talk about multiple sclerosis for so long and I couldn't just talk about my physical health and not mention multiple sclerosis because my physical health now has shaped me because of this multiple sclerosis. So I had to put them together, but I just wanted to share how, even though this whole time I haven't cried, it still hurts me to talk about it a little bit, but it's going away little by little because it's nothing to be ashamed of having multiple sclerosis. It's nothing that I wished upon myself. It's something that, hey, if I could make something out of this and help other people that may not know what's going on, that I could at least direct them to certain things, to certain networks. So like I kept saying, please, if you can find the National MS Society, the National Association of MS, please find out there's Google it. Please Google the websites. Please look at them. For the love of God, please do not, do not look at WebMD. Please do not, because they'll literally tell you you're dying from a cough. Like, just please don't look at WebMD. Please do your own research because our bodies are all different. I can't tell you that the stuff that worked for me is going to work for you because we're not the same people. So please do your own research. Do not be afraid to ask for help because help is out there. Whether or not you realize it or not, help is out there and people do want to help you, but you have to be open and you have to be vulnerable to that help. It was one thing to be like, oh, well, I have multiple sclerosis. But if I didn't want to talk about it and I was just crying, then I'm not doing anybody a favor by being closed off about it. So please, if you can, find people that are going to want to help you progress in your health journey and not just be like, oh, well, I'm here to help you do one thing and leave because that's that's not that's not going to help you in the long run. Then you need to do the research for you. Not just because, oh, well, I'm doing it for my brother or my sister or whatever. No, you're doing it for you because you want to live, right? You want to live longer. You got to do this. You have to do this research. So, and at the end of the day, if you're doing research, then you're not going to be surprised by other things that may or may not pop up. The way that I view my multiple sclerosis right now is that multiple sclerosis is a background app that runs throughout my body. If my body is a whole machine, multiple sclerosis is an app that runs in the background. And I never know what it's going to do to me, whether it could do something to me today, tomorrow, next year, next five years. I don't know. But I just know that's back there. And even though it's back there, I can't avoid it. I can't ignore it. It's there. The best thing I can do is monitor it and not be afraid of what could possibly happen. But just try to take the steps to make sure that I am living a better life. I'm consuming the things that make my body feel good. And, you know, drinking my water. Please, y'all, we got to drink water. Trying to take care of my skin. Trying to make sure that I do keep an active lifestyle so that I'm not in any ways bounded by any physical obstacles or emotional or mental obstacles. I'm able to live my full life the way that I want to and the way that I should because I deserve to live a full life no matter what, MS or not. So overall, having multiple sclerosis hasn't stopped me from living my full life and I don't want it to stop you from living your life either. 
This may be a multiple sclerosis-centered episode, but overall, this is about my HP and your HP, and we have to monitor our HP very closely as we have our levels, as we gain levels, new levels, new access to different opportunities. We have to be mindful of our health, our physical health, because that is what keeps us going. So I highly encourage everybody out there that's listening, please, please take better care of yourselves physically. You deserve it. You need to be your own advocate for your physical health. I can't be an advocate for you. The most I can do is just be an advocate for myself. And I want to encourage other people. You know, I totally do, especially with my friends, my family. Hey, if you do want to have some type of exercise program, you know, let me know. And I will love to join you and we can work out together. However, I can't push you to do that. You have to do it yourself. And the same way that I'm telling you is the same thing I have to tell myself. When I wake up, I'm like, hey, I got to do this. I have to stretch. I have to work out. And working out can mean a lot for a lot of people. I do Dance Dance Revolution. So, you know, it's it, it differs from person to person. But I just want you all to make sure that what you can take away from this episode is that our HP is important. Just like it is in video games, it totally is important in real life. And we need to be mindful of our HP levels because if not, it could quickly wind down to zero. Thank you so much, players, for listening, and until next time, exit game.